0: thrilling, well, hopefully thrilling installment of AutoLine Daily. It's t- 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 Tuesday, the 18th of October, 2011. Fall is really in the air here in Michigan. It's cold outside. I'm Samson Rolomite of... Wait a minute, who wrote this? Change my lower third now. Just... That's better. Okay. As you know, I'm Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics, bringing you the latest and greatest in the world of cars. Now, let's get started, shall we? In somewhat surprising news, Daimler announced it fired the head of Mercedes-Benz USA, Ernst Lieb, a genuine nice guy we've interviewed on several occasions here. According to the Detroit News, the company didn't say why it made the move, but in the meantime, Herbert Werner, who's the CFO and vice president of finance, controlling, and IT will take over his position until further notice. Lieb had been the head of Mercedes-Benz USA since 2006. Last week, we reported that Suzuki was demanding that Volkswagen sell its stake in the company after the Japanese automaker accused the German company of violating their agreement by not sharing technology. Then Volkswagen accused Suzuki of breaching the contract by signing an engine deal with Fiat. Now, the Wall Street Journal reports despite all the drama, VW will not sell its stake in Suzuki, which sits right now at nearly 20%. Sounds like the spec could drag on for quite a while and will definitely be entertaining as long as you don't work at Volkswagen or Suzuki. Meanwhile, over in California, the bowtie is turning to the Magic Kingdom for help. In an attempt to increase its single-digit slice of the largest car market in America, Chevrolet has hired Disney to enhance the customer experience at its dealerships throughout the state by training staff at its Orange County theme park. The Los Angeles Times report this is the first part of a three-pronged approach to increase Chevy's statewide market share. The brand is also selling more fuel-efficient cars and has targeted 100 dealerships for renovation in San Diego, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. We should note that this is at least the third go-around for Disney and Chevy. Back in the 90s, the brand's total customer enthusiasm division also offered a similar type of dealer training from Disney, but at that time it wasn't focused on one state. And there was also the infamous Disney Venture, which somehow morphed into the Warner Brothers Disney Adventure minivan. Go figure. And now some exciting manufacturing... I'm sorry, I lied. There's hardly any manufacturing news that's really exciting. But our friends at WARS report that Toyota is ready to open its latest plant, located in Blue Springs, Mississippi. This is the company's 14th North American factory, and it's 10th in the United States. Toyota will start building 2012 Corollas at the facility very soon. Job one will be sometime this month, and, you know, if you think about it, they're running out of days. Plans were to build the Prius at the facility, but the company decided to switch to the Corolla in June of last year after the NUMI shutdown in Fremont, California. Luckily, the cars share the same manufacturing architecture, so changes to the assembly line were relatively minor. Getting production up and running should help ease the company's inventory issues, especially for the high-selling Corolla. Also on the manufacturing front, Bloomberg reports that Porsche is investing about half a billion euros, nearly $700 million, to expand its plant in Leipzig, Germany. It's adding new body and paint shops to the factory, which was where it builds the Cayenne and Panamera, its two best-selling models right now. The company is taking advantage of lower wages in the area, which was part of the former communist East Germany. Yavol, Would you believe the graphics on the Chevy Camaro were created using one of these? A Sharpie marker. It's true. Professional pinstriper named Chris Dunlop created these detailed decorations. According to LSX TV, 10 of the permanent markers were needed to complete the design, which took about 54 hours from start to finish. And don't worry about getting it smudged. A clear coat was used to protect the artwork from the elements. It's pretty cool, isn't it? And most importantly, he avoided using the purple, silver, and green Sharpies that stuck with black. Coming up next, Americans in Hatchback. What's the deal? My stance on this issue right after this. Hello? What if we always settled for the first thing that came along? Then we'd never have gotten here. Introducing the Sonata Hybrid. Hyundai. The long-awaited hatchback resurgence. Myth or hoax? Hatchbacks should be the car of choice for Americans, yet since the body's heyday in the late 70s to early 80s, they become but a volume footnote in a market dominated by four-door sedans and SUV crossover-y kind of things. Now, whenever a manufacturer introduces a new B or C segment car, they feel compelled to add the Design for Europe hatchback to the range. Don't get me wrong, I love hatchbacks and have owned a string of them going back to a mid-70s Cosworth Vega. I'm not too proud to say that. The first thing to be considered a modern hatchback was the 1950 Kaiser Traveler. After Kaiser and Frazier gave up the ghost, America was denied sort of the wonders of a car that combined the functionality and reconfigurability of a station wagon with the stylish sensibilities of a sedan until the debut of the 1971 Chevy Vega, followed by about a year by the Pinto runabout and then the Chevy Nova hatchback in 1973. After that, Volkswagen launched the original Golf in the United States as the Rabbit. Wonderful car. Failed in ways heretofore unknown to Volkswagen owners. Mopar had its own entries in the form of the Dodge Omni and Plymouth Horizon, vehicles sort of better forgotten and a favorite car of the anti-destination league. Do you see the pattern here? Hatchbacks achieved their notoriety as entry-level cars, vehicles you aspired to get out of as quickly as possible. And the onslaught of bottom feeder hatches continued throughout the 1970s with, um... Cars like the Datsun F10 and B210 from Nissan. The Chevy Chevette. Don't forget the scooter version. A rear seat and glove box door were optional on that one. There were a few more upmarket hatchbacks from folks like Saab and the ill-fated Mercur Scorpio, but none of these sent the competition running to build their own premium hatches, so the market stayed at the bottom. Now, I know what you're thinking. Jim, those cars are only remembered by old farts, and I mean like the German to drive word farts, not the other one, uh, like you, and you'd be right. Sort of. But just as the crap hatchbacks were morphing into higher volume sedans, like the transformation of the Rabbit into VW's hyper-successful Jetta, well, hyper-successful in North America, there was another batch of three and five-door scumliners landing on the shores of America. These sheet metal lash-ups, like the 1985 Excel, the Ziziaro-designed hatchback that nearly sunk Hyundai in the US market. Chrysler tried it again with the hatchback that posed a sedan Dodge Shadow in Plymouth Sundance. And don't forget the astonishingly incompetent Renault Encore. There was also the second most inappropriately named car in American history, built by Kia and marketed by Ford, the Aspire. While these machines were being sold, there were some good hatchback entries. But like the original front-drive Dodge Colt and Plymouth Champ twins, the Corolla FX16, and the subsequent GTI variants of the Golf, generally these cars were just sort of low-lying cars that you really got in and got out of. When Ford launched the original Focus in late 1999, the company made a lot of hoopla as to how the ZX3 three-door was rewriting the definition of a hatchback. Stylish, sporty, well-equipped, fun to drive. That was the ZX3. But as you see if you look around you, the first generation Focus was essentially a four-door sedan when it came to sales volume. Now with a new Focus, Ford is touting the five-door hatches establishing the hatchback as a volume proposition for the newest iteration of what is Ford's biggest selling small car. The company tells us the new Focus will accomplish this by being stylish, sporty, well-equipped, fun to drive. What was Einstein's definition of madness? Oh yes, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I liked the new Focus a lot and I liked the original ZX-3 just as much. The thing is we do have hatchbacks in the States, a lot of them, they're not European hatchbacks, they're posing as SUVs and crossovers. And if you doubt it, Look at a new Kia Sportage or a Toyota Venza, just to name two of these things and tell me I'm wrong. Those are hatchbacks. That's a wrap. Again, I'm Samson Roller, oh, come on. That wasn't funny the first time, and you know, what did I just say about Einstein and insanity, this is not good. Anyway, I'm Jim Hall from 2953 Analytics. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time around these parts. Bye-bye.